This podcast is brought to you by Knowledge at Wharton. United Airlines settled quick and out of court with Dr. David Dow, the man who was dragged off an overbooked flight last month. But despite paying to prevent a court case, the perception of United has been tarnished. So how does this airline move forward and how does the industry react since there have already, no, maybe no surprise, been calls for further scrutiny by the government? We pose those questions and more to John Strong, professor of finance and economics at the College of William and Mary, and also Roger W. Clark, founding member of the Clark Law Group, as well as a visiting professor at Rutgers University's Camden campus, where he teaches aviation law. John, Roger, as always, great to have you both back on the show with us today. Thanks, Dan. Thanks, Dan. Great to have you both. Uh, So I guess, what was your reaction uh, to the response of Oscar Munoz and and the rest of the airline with such a quick settlement? John? John? Um, I think on the on the law side of things, Roger's probably a more uh, a, okay. a better a person to respond to that. Um, I've more. Um, I'm happy to talk about what United's done in response, but I think that's a better question for Roger. Okay, Roger, you start, and we'll get into the finance in a second. Yeah, I'll, I'll be glad to. Yeah, it was a quick settlement. Uh, no lawsuit uh, was even filed, and it's clear what was driving the desire to settle was a public relations uh, problem as much as a legal issue. And there was a lot of conversation about uh, early on, right after the incident, when it occurred on April 9th, um, plaintiff's lawyer, uh, the Dr. Dow's lawyer, uh, had a number of uh, interviews and was talking about uh, common carrier obligations and things of that nature. But what kind of got lost in the mix, and this is from the legal standpoint, is that uh, under federal law, uh, the 1978 Airline Deregulation Acts, puts uh, rates, routes, and services uh, exclusively within the province of federal law. And it is not subject, and it preempts any state law on the subject. So once you're on an aircraft or you're right to board an aircraft or the right of an airline to remove someone off of an aircraft is a service as defined under federal law. So whatever right that Mr. Dow had to sue uh, United Airlines would be subject to uh, federal law. And airlines do have the right to remove um, passengers from airlines. Probably the best uh, uh, example we're all familiar with, if we're driving down the uh, highway and a police car pulls up behind us with the lights flashing and the sirens going, you you know you're supposed to pull over. And if you don't pull over, you can be taken into custody. Well, when you board an airplane... Uh, it's almost like going back in certain ways to, uh, you know, the British Navy 300 years ago. You know, the captain reigned supreme, and uh, you are supposed to obey the lawful orders of the flight crew, ultimately culminating with the captain. So there is the right to remove uh, someone, even if it's not for a safety issue. It's a, you know, under, a, under an overbooking issue like this. I think the question here is whether or not uh, unreasonable force was used those are issues we're never going to know um, because, or, or how they would turn out because the lawsuit wasn't filed and uh, united, and also the uh, Chicago airport moved promptly to settle the case. Um, and, and so it is now a history. Uh, but even to the extent that uh, the plaintiff's lawyer came out uh, late last week after the settlement was reached and complimented United Airlines and how it had taken corporate responsibility 
and had stepped up to the plate to do what was right. Well, and, and as this plays out, gentlemen, uh, and so you know, uh, I, when I tweet the, the these segments out, you know, we get reaction from time to time from the listeners, and I didn't even realize apparently this is going on as we speak, that there is a flight out of Denver that has been delayed there for more than 18 hours, and people are stranded there right now. So, uh, I mean, Roger, I mean, it, you see delays, and, and sometimes you see people held over, but an 18, 18 hour delay is a long period of time. Uh, very, very, very long period of time. And that's, I assume, that's the uh, snowstorm that's working its way through uh, uh, Colorado. Uh, you know, a few years ago, if you recall, Dan, uh, this was a hot topic about being stuck on the tarmac for unreasonable yeah. periods of time. And uh, Congress moved forward with a passenger bill of rights, uh, which specified that uh, you cannot, an airline cannot force uh, passengers to remain on the tarmac for more than three hours uh, without compensation, and they have to return back to the gate. Uh, and then the airlines also have to provide, you know, reasonable food and water. So if if they are stuck on the tarmac for 18 hours, uh, that's a vi- violation oh, yeah. of the uh, passenger bill of rights. Uh, they, they may very well, and hopefully they have, for, for everybody's sake, return back to the gate and people are inside the terminal. And, and, and it sounds like this one isn't getting the publicity yet, but probably will, I, I would think, at some point today. So, uh, John, from the financial perspective, obviously United Airlines wanted to kind of put this to bed and and and, and make it uh, kind of go away to a degree. But financially, uh, this is something that realistically they, they wanted to be done with. They, did, they didn't want to see this go, go into any kind of litigation. That, that's correct. And I think the, what you saw the response of the United Policy Review was done quite quickly. And they've instituted a series of um, – they've announced a, a series of procedural changes, which basically fall into um, some changes about the level and the extent of rebooking – of um, um, overbooking of flights. They've promised that they would – reduce that and try to target it only on flights where it's less likely to have um, involuntary denied boarding. Um, They've also um, claimed to up the compensation to a maximum of $10,000 and to um, change some procedures at which customers would be able to volunteer more easily. Um, I I guess when I looked at the, the whole set of changes that United is promising, um, most of them are ones that, that people would have thought this was the right way to do it in the first place. Right. So they're sort of late to the game. And I think, as Roger pointed out, I, I think what's likely to come about from Congress is an attempt to extend the Passenger Bill of Rights and the tarmac delay issues will start to cover more and more of these issues. I, I think the two important questions that are that remain unanswered from United. If you think about the overbooking of seats for a minute, um, the real questions I think that remain unanswered are two. One is that when a seat um, is booked and then there's a no-show, um, do, does United Airlines really lose money from that? Because they're not clear as to whether these are actually seats in which you know, you were trying to make a connection, but you missed your connection, or you didn't show up, but you have a non-refundable ticket. Right. So there are a number of situations where United will actually have generated revenue if that seat had had flown empty anyway. The second 
thing that is unclear from their answers is the reasons for the no-shows. And to the extent that, you know, we're looking at United flight delays that are um, somewhere around 20% of total flights, many of the no-shows on these flights which is the reason they say they need to overbook. Many of the no-shows are because of misconnections um, right. that is under, um, you know, part of the of United's tight scheduling and so on. Well, uh, Roger, I mean, obviously the the, the system as itself uh, runs pretty well for the most part, but obviously you have these instances, and as uh, as John just laid out, you know, somebody misses a connection, it, it kind of it's almost like a snowball downhill at times. Uh, and, and very much so. Um, and we're in a world uh, where there has been such an increase in passenger travel. And again, coming back you know, to the passage of the Airline Deregulation Act uh, almost 40 years ago now, the whole point behind the act uh, was to take the regulators out of market, market entry into certain airports and setting the fares and things of that nature. And and just kind of put this in perspective, um, uh, you know, back in the mid-'70s, you had about 200 million passengers flying a year. Uh, then after the deregulation went into uh, effect, there was just explosive growth. Uh, and most recently, we're, we're flying almost a billion passengers a year. And I'm talking about domestically. I'm not talking about worldwide. Yeah. So, so, so you have this tremendous growth in, 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 in passenger travel, which been, has been made possible. And, and you go back to the mid-1970s, uh, the cheapest fare you could get from Los Angeles to New York was about fourteen or $1,500. Now, you know, you can book fares in the 200s or low 300s. So, so there's been a tremendous um, drop in cost of travel to passengers. At the same time, of course, the number of passengers has gone up. Now, that, that's wonderful for people who want to travel and take advantage of that, and that's all very good. But what, what, there, there, there's a certain uh, cattle mentality that begins to creep into the human <laughs> existence when you're moving so many people, uh, uh, you know, again, putting yourself in a freeway situation where we're used to, you know, heavy traffic, and we all have a tendency to dehumanize you know, the car next to us when they pull in front of us or they, you know, and, and or cut us off or whatever. We don't think so much of the human element. It's a dehumanizing uh, process. So it's a little bit of that has crept into uh, airline service because they deal with so many people. And, and it's just such a routine process uh, that uh, it's been dehumanized. And I think that um, United and other airlines now are having to respond to that and recapture some of the human element in, uh, in uh, the service they deliver. So what you're saying is that an airline like Southwest, which has that, you know, A, B, C, D, E, F, and G boarding system that they have, and they put people in those lines, that's, pr that's not the way to do it because it is like a cattle shoot. It, 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 well, and and it, it does make you feel that way. and. And uh, so, you know, re and the airlines, you know, are now, I think, uh, with this cat out of the bag, uh, they had the benefit when they were overbooking. Uh, no one really understood uh, how it worked, what the price points were. And after the Dr. Dow incident, the cat is out of the bag, you know, so to speak. And everybody now knows what uh, the price points were. Um, and now uh, Delta, as well as United, has come out and basically said they'll go up to $10,000 per seat. But the, but the interesting thing about that is, is that it still puts the uh, burden back on the passengers because you can see a bidding process right. uh, when 
you've got an overbooking situation, uh, the, the agent is going to say, well, anybody give up their seat for 2000 And the passengers are all going to be looking at each other and says, well, who's going to break first? Is it going to be at the three or the five or the right. $6,000 number? I actually think a better way to do this, which would be better from the passenger relationship, is just have a fixed offer at a certain number, whether it be 10000 or $5,000. And and say, uh, you know, we need three seats, uh, the offer is $10,000, uh, take it. Uh, and if you're going to have multiple people volunteer for that, and you're probably going to have to uh, act like a lottery, and, and uh, 15 people volunteer to take the 10000 and wait for the next flight, you're going to have to decide which of those uh, three or four uh, are winning the lottery. It certainly would be better for passenger relations. I think it's, I, I think it's true that... Um, uh, that some changes need to be made there, but the the actu- actually what United is is proposing to do is actually the opposite. They they will have um, an an, a, an addition to their app um, at which you would be able to put in the number at which you would be willing to bump for the price that you'd be willing to bump for. And so it's clear that the thirteen hundred and fifty dollar regulatory standard was too low. Um, that's why United was readily willing to go much higher but in practice um the the i would expect it to be um much much lower than that on a regular basis i would be surprised to see the changes be uh um much more than a couple thousand dollars would be i think where it would end up in practice Roger, I mean, how often, if, if, if in a percentage of flights, and I would think that it's it's really low to begin with, would you potentially have these types of situations? It's very, very uh, low, Dan. I believe the number that uh, Oscar Munoz cited is that less than one passenger is involuntarily removed for 23,000 that fly. Uh, so it's such a low number. Um, that when we talk about uh, the compensation given for being bumped uh, overall is, is is it's a big number to us normal people, but to a big you know organization that uh, has billions of dollars in revenue, not as big a profit as they would like, but you know, certainly a lot of revenue. It, it actually comes into a relatively inconsequential. Uh, number. I'm sure there's some accountants at United. Well, they're just rolling their eyes at that. Well, John, I was. I, I guess I would say I would say a little bit. I have a different view about that. Um, United has sort of noted that about four percent of their flights have more ticketed customers than they have available seats, um, and so four percent of the total flights, which are also concentrated in the regional and the smaller planes means I, I don't think this is I think it's a relatively small number when you look at it as a total number of passengers, but when you look at it as a percentage of flights, it's actually meaningful. And and I think the the issue that that really has to be addressed by United here is, you know, Roger's right that there's lots more people flying. It's also true that the airplanes are much more full than they've been. Um, And so there's really no slack in the system to take up um, when something irregular happens. And so, so the real issue for United is how do they improve the operations in terms of more slack in the system so that they can handle these issues um, um, rather than have to resort to any sort of overbooking um, situation as well. Well, Roger, that brings up the, the kind of playing off of that question is the fact that, you know, do the airlines need to start thinking about 
adding one extra flight, two extra flights, whatever it may be, on their busiest routes, and and or it could be on the uh, on the regional jets. I mean, do they need to start thinking about it? They've been running at such a tight, lean kind of marginal run for the last uh, few years to be able to turn negatives into positives financially. Maybe it's time for them to start considering this. Well, most most airlines do want to increase uh, capacity, and United. Uh is projecting to increase its capacity uh, this uh, calendar year by about uh, three or four percent, which is a you know pretty significant increase. Uh, of course, the counter to that is that if you increase the capacity, then you're going to start reducing uh, you know revenue back to the airline through price competition and so forth. And at some point, it falls below a point that uh, is counterproductive uh, to the airlines. That that's the thinking. But but you know one one thing, and 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 this gets back to a point that. John was making you know, on this 10-point plan that United came out with after April the 9th. Some of these I- issues uh, strike you as, well, why weren't they dealt with before? And, sure. and, and to me, one that uh, w- w- was the most productive announced change is that United is establishing what it calls a customer solutions team uh, to provide the, uh, you know, the gate agent with creative solutions um, to try to deal with a potential overbooking problem. Uh, such as uh, going to another airline, or you going to another, um, you know, airport, uh, or even providing, uh, you know, overground transportation on this uh, Dr. Dow's flight uh, from Chicago to Louisville. It's only about 300 miles. Yeah. And and even though you might have needed to get the four flight crew members down to Louisville so that they could meet rest requirements, you know, for the flight the next morning. Uh, it would have been a lot cheaper for United. They could have rented a stretch limousine and driven Dr. Dow and his wife uh, from Chicago to Louisville that evening um, and certainly saved themselves a lot of money and a lot a lot of he- headache doing that. And, 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 and you know, it, it, it kind of comes back into this algorithm that these airlines are using. They're so airline-centric because, um, it, you know, United announced why – why Dr. Dow was picked is because of his fair classification and his, you know, d- domestic itinerary. But but there's no recognition apparently given in these uh, algorithms used by the airline as to the needs of the passengers. You know, as right. far as uh, United knew, Dr. Dow had to be in Louisville to provide a life-saving operation at 7 o'clock the next morning. Uh, but those kind of factors, you know, are not captured apparently in yeah. the current uh, methodology used by the airline. Well, let's talk about the flight crew uh, situation for a second, Roger, because obviously we we've talked to you with you in the past about the fact that these airlines are moving crew members into various hubs so that they can be, you know, prepared for a flight the next day. I mentioned to you having gone to Miami recently for the Wharton Global Forum, running and talking in, uh, talking with a pilot who was going down to Miami to be there just in case they needed him and yep. would be there for like three days in case there you know, needed to be a situation where he needed to fly. So, I mean, the 60-minute requirement that, that United mentioned that these airlines, I think, are, are, are thinking more and more about, that, I think, becomes an important ingredient, but maybe not the, the panacea here. Well, and... And, uh, you know, the airlines recognize that there's going to be various types of problems, uh, uh, you know, with the changes uh, uh, over the years, particularly after the Colgan Air disaster some years back you know, up in the Buffalo, uh, New York area. Uh, people recognized how fatigued pilots were becoming, particularly in the regional carriers, and so new rules were instituted um, uh, re- requiring um, uh, more rest, 
uh, protecting the rights of the uh, crews to get that rest uh, so that they're relatively um, alert, well, hopefully very alert, uh, when they step into the cockpit. And, and so uh, I'm sure that the airlines have uh, their own understanding of uh, the odds that a particular uh, crew member is not going to be eligible to fly another route because of the, they have exceeded the flight limitations. Uh, or someone is not going to show up because of illness and things of that nature. And so it's quite common in that example, Dan, uh, to have a pilot on standby just in case they need need a replacement. Now, with this uh, flight out of uh, Chicago to Louisville, um, you know, and having to have a flight out of Louisville, uh, you know, the next morning, clearly they didn't have the crew in place, you know, for that. Um, but uh, it, it is a struggle for the airlines to keep up w- w- with all the changes and and, uh, you know, we've talked before, Nan, about the airline pilot shortage, particularly yeah. in the regionals. And, yeah. and we now live in a world or in, in this country we're only minting maybe two or 3,000 new pilots a year, at least through the military, which was the traditional supply line uh, for the commercial pilots, uh, where we need many more pilots than that each year to keep up with this, this continuing explosive growth. Uh, in the airline uh, uh, business, and and then you start seeing it back up. Uh, you know, one of the reasons that United is is reporting uh, a lower profit uh, for the first quarter is because uh, you know they're increasing the pay rates uh, for the flight crews. Yeah. Uh, new, new union contracts are in place. The fuel charges are going up. Um, price of oil and gas is is higher. So a lot of things are coming together that that's squeezing the margins right now. Uh, but interestingly, this public relations fiasco with Dr. Dow uh, does not seem to have any significant impact that we can quantify, at least at the moment. Well, and, and, performance. and that made me wonder what the impact will be on the company in general, because, in, you know, we have seen in a variety of different instances uh, that, that there are companies that are involved in, in something negative happening to their brand. And there is a little bit of a short-term impact, but like a lot of things, people forget about it and they go about their business. And again, with this industry, uh, John, this is an industry where people want to get the best, the, the best price point that they possibly can for their flight. And they're willing to probably go with whatever airline is going to give them the best price. Uh, I, I think that's true. I, I, I think the real question for United going forward is that their responses to uh, the uh, Dr. Dow incident um, and the, pol- the proposed changes are all things that I think people would say are generally reasonable things to do and actually may should have been done in the past. Um, I think the real question for United is, going forward, what is the next set of things that they do if they truly want to be more customer-focused and more customer-centric in their, in their um, views? And I, and I think that that next stage um, ought to ought to address at least sort of four issues. And I would just, just my list would be, as Roger pointed out, the regional jet issue, um, the United Expresses are separate operations from United Mainline, yeah. and, the, and that part of the United operation needs to be rethought in terms of strategy. When 60% of the flights out of Chicago are United Ex- Express flights, right, it really says that this is an important component and not just a, a secondary business. And then the three other things that I think United is well behind the rest of the industry on and needs to take it much more seriously is in terms of cancellations. 
They're still running two to two and a half percent of total flights are being canceled. Mm -hmm. They're still running 20 to 25 percent of flights which are delayed, um, and their mishandled baggage rates are um, much higher than the industry standard as well. And so, so there are a number of ways that United could take this incident right, and make changes in ways that would make them uh, more um, customer-centric and basically build some credibility that their response to this incident isn't just a response, but it's also a rethinking of their overall customer strategy. Roger? No, I, I agree. And I guess uh, the old uh, uh, adage is uh, in any crisis, there's an opportunity. And and I think that probably Delta and American uh, were quick to take advantage of the opportunity created by the United Crisis when you know Delta stepped up and talked about its new ten thousand, almost ten thousand dollar compensation plan. Yeah, and and United was a little bit behind uh, you know the power curve on, on dealing with that. It, I mean, it is a struggle uh, on how you go forward and you know reestablish you know a positive brand. Um, but I think the overall point, Dan, that you made is that people want to spend as little money. Uh, as as they need to to get to their destination uh, for a vacation, and once they get to the vacation, uh, they're happy to spend a lot of money. But to get there, uh, the desire generally is to, is to keep the transportation cheap, and and the airlines recognize that. Right. Uh, and so this is to a large extent, uh, you know, seats are getting smaller. You know, the pitch is 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 getting less. Um, all these individual fees that are being charged. Ultimately, it's all market-driven, and all those almost a billion-dollar passengers are speaking uh, by buying tickets. Uh, and if um, people stopped buying tickets, the airlines would have to rethink their marketing strategy. Uh, but the approach being taken by most passengers now, which, which is price, not so much service-driven, but price-driven, as long as it is price-driven, not service-driven, uh, you, you, you see uh, the, the continual uh, you know, insults to the quality of service that we're all having to put up with in the airline industry. But it obviously is now an industry, uh, Roger, that is focused on more and more. Obviously, you know, we had the incident with Dr. Dow. Uh, we had the incident with the couple that uh, was engaged and were going to get married down in, uh, uh, on an island, and, and they had an incident. Uh, you had the most recent one with a Delta pilot, I guess, that had to break up a fight. Uh, of two women that was on the gangway uh, trying to get to the... So, I mean, this is an industry that, you know, maybe wasn't as focused on from the public as much as it has been recently, Roger. And so they have to do it cleaner, better, and 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 faster than ever before. And and there's less and less room for mistakes because of social media. You know, you know 15, 20 years ago, uh, Dr. Dow would not even be an incident. It would, would have happened but it would not have been viral as it was you right. know, a couple of weeks ago. So it, it just provides less room uh, for mistake, and uh, it, it increases the demand on every single airline employee to be on his or her absolutely best behavior. What do you expect uh, to be the, the, the future of this, John? I mean, is, is it going to be something that is going to kind of uh, go away? And from, an, from a business perspective, United is going to be able to, to, to continue to be an effective uh, carrier in this country? 
I, I think that the uh, major airlines are in such a, a dominant position that it's unlike that's unlikely to change. The real question to me is whether organizationally this has been enough of a shock to United Airlines that will will spur them to uh, um, uh, change their operational standards to make the the business more customer focused. And I think. Um, one thing that might come from the upcoming congressional hearings will be a renewed attention and visibility on that. And I think sometimes the the regulators can overreach, but I think um, oftentimes it calls attention to issues and makes companies respond in ways that they they would wouldn't choose otherwise to do. And I think if if uh, um, there's more attention and oversight to things like cancellations and delays and, and so on, that that will be better for travelers. And in the long run, it'll be better for the airlines as well. Great to have you both with us. Thank you, John. Thank you, Roger. All the best. Thanks, Dan. All the best. Th- thank you. John Strong from the College of William & Mary, Roger W. Clark, founding member of the Clark Law Group and also visiting professor at Rutgers University in Camden. We will take a break. For more insight from Knowledge at Wharton, please visit knowledge.wharton.upenn.edu.